Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromlow, and it is week eight in the NFL, meaning we are almost at the halfway point of the 2017 season. And to help us break down these week eight matchups before we reach that halfway point, it is a pleasure to welcome back our good friend, Hal Bent, to the show. Hal is the New England Patriots writer for MusketFire.com, Cover32.com, and Scout Media. What's up, Hal? Hey, David. How are you? I'm uh, great, thanks. Looking forward to another hopefully exciting week of football. Exactly. Hopefully more exciting than Thursday night was. Oh, God. That game was unwatchable last night. <laughs> the 40-nothing Ravens, but right in, in the first quarter, you know, oh, boy, this is going to be a boring game, and it absolutely was a boring game. It turned into a slop fest, which made it even worse. And even worse, the Dolphins get primetime slots next week in Week 9 and the week after. So, uh, so NFL, please expand your flex scheduling procedures to all primetime games, uh, it, including Monday night games, because uh, we need better matchups in primetime going forward. What do you say, Hal? I completely agree. Um, you know, the, this is the primetime. This is where the NFL's showing off their market. And, you know, we don't want to see Ryan Mallett against, uh, you know, backup of the week. Sorry, no thanks. Sorry, Matt Moore, but nobody wants to watch you. Yeah, Jay Cutler, um, I'm not sure he's that much better right now. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I didn't think he could do worse than Jay Cutler, so that was kind of surprising on Thursday. Um, to a degree, it was. I picked the Dolphins to win, but... Uh, both the Ravens and Dolphins have serious flaws, and uh, the Ravens uh, took advantage being at home last night to their credit. But uh, aside from that game last night, uh, what were your big takeaways from last week, which was uh, week seven? So week seven, um, my big takeaway was, wow, the Jacksonville Jaguars, that defense continues to impress. Uh, the Cleveland Browns may have lost their last chance to win a game this season. Uh, Arizona, there's cards tumbling over there. It does not look pretty. And what is going on with that Denver Broncos offense? Oh, my God, Hal. Talk to me about it. This Broncos <laughs> fan uh, has two simple words for you, Trevor Simeon. Uh, yes, the offensive line isn't uh, elite, but it isn't as bad as it was last year. Simeon's limitations and his predictabilities – uh, have made it so easy for defenses to just stop the bo- to stuff the box with eight eight defenders and uh, and force Simeon to beat them with his arm, which obviously he can't. And with Simeon's inability to hit deep throws and continuously check down all the time, it continuously puts defenses one step ahead of the curve. And Trevor Simeon is the biggest reason why the Broncos are where they're at right now. And don't, don't just talk to me about it. Talk to my good friend, uh, Eric Trickle, who you can follow on Twitter. He's written some great columns this week that illustrates the point that Trevor Simeon is the main culprit here for, for the Broncos. Offense. And speaking of the Cleveland Browns, you're probably alluding to the season-ending injury to Joe Thomas, the Iron Man of Iron Men, who missed his first snap last Sunday out of the first 10,438, I believe, that was the number, forgive me if I'm wrong, of his career. He had gone 10,438 snaps from his rookie year in 2007 all the way to last Sunday without missing a snap until he regrettably tore his triceps and is out for the season. And 
it might end his career. It wasn't only Joe Thomas, a future Hall of Fame left tackle, going down for the year. The Philadelphia Eagles with Jason Peters uh, going out for the year with his torn ACL and MCL. And that could be the final snap of his career, too. So two potential future Hall of Fame left tackles. We could we just might have seen their last performances. Yeah, it's scary when you see that. And, you know, it, like I mentioned in Arizona as well, you have Carson Palmer, who that could be his last game of the season. We don't know if he's riding off into the sunset at the end of the year and taking Larry Fitzgerald along with him. So for Arizona, it could be a huge transition year as they try to adapt to life without Carson Palmer starting earlier than they might have planned. Yeah, that could very well be Carson Palmer's last snap as well, given the fact that he is going on 38 years young. And uh, a big day coming in the NFL comes this Tuesday, Halloween. But uh, Halloween also brings forth the NFL's trading deadline. Do you expect any trades to come down before the deadline on Tuesday? And if so, what trade would you like to see happen and why? Well, there's probably going to be some small moves. I'm not sure if there's going to be any big moves because right now everybody's still in the wild card race. As we talked about last week with so many teams with two, three, four wins, and really there wasn't a lot of shakeup last week. So if there is going to be a trade, you're looking at somebody like the Browns or the 49ers, maybe unloading somebody to a contending team. Um You know, Joe Thomas was somebody that was talked about before last week, and now it's a matter of, you know, is it something like a Jason McCourty maybe with um, the Browns going to a cornerback needy team? I could see the Cowboys making a run for him. I could see, um, you know, a couple of different teams that that are close, that are still in contention, that may just be, you know, an injury or two or a player away. Um, I wouldn't even discount Seattle, who's always looking for another cornerback to add to that legion of boom and help carry him through the second half of the season. It is going to be interesting, given how unorthodox trades have been this year in the NFL when the bewitching hour comes on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And now let's look at the games here in Week 8, starting with, in your backyard, with the New England Patriots coming off their most impressive performance of the year, arguably, on both sides of the ball, hosting the red-hot Los Angeles Chargers, winners of three straight. And yesterday, or two days ago, uh, the Patriots um, got some bad news as Dante Hightower, who you can argue is their most important defender because of the leadership he brings to that defense, will miss the remainder of the 2017 season with a torn pectoral muscle. On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is the Hightower injury, not just for the Patriots' defense in this game, but going forward as well? Well, I'm going to put it at about a 5. He's probably their most important defender, but outside of Tom Brady, I think this team can lose anybody and still chug along. They're in good shape in that they have one player who's due back the week after the bye when they're in Denver, uh, which is linebacker Shea McClellan, who is uh, kind of a mini-me Dante Hightower. He's a big linebacker. He can cover tight ends. He can rush off the edge. He's very versatile. They used him in that role a little bit last year. So that's going to mitigate a little. They have the David Harris insurance policy for the run defense. So it may not be one guy that replaces Hightower. It may be two or three guys picking up some extra roles. But I think they'll be okay with that. Um, 
until they get to a big game because let's face it you go back to the super bowl dante hightower that strip sack of matt ryan turned that entire game um, in the super bowl 49 against seattle he was the one that tackled marshawn lynch at the one yard line and set up the heroics while he was playing through a torn labrum in his shoulder making that play to to keep the Patriots' uh, Super Bowl chances alive in that game. So he's a big-time player. They're going to miss that at some point. But over the course of the rest of the season, they'll mitigate it somehow. It's going to be in the playoffs where they really feel that hurt. It, it just might, but I've got even bigger news to report, as Adam Schefter just reported at the time of this uh, recording of ours, uh, that the Buffalo Bills have traded defensive tackle Marcel Darius, Pro Bowl defensive tackle Marcel Darius, that is, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, my wow. goodness. So now wow. Marcel Darius is going to be joining forces with Calais Cabell, Malik Jackson, Dante Fowler, Yannick Ngakwe, that entire beastly defensive front four, and just add him to the mix. That defense could even go up another level the way they've been playing right wow. now. That could be so intriguing, man, can it? That is huge news. And, and you know, he's going back to Jackson, going to Jacksonville. He's going back to Doug Marone, where he had his best seasons in Buffalo, where he was the most motivated and played at his highest level. I mean, that's that's just mind boggling that Jacksonville would be able to to tear him away. And for Buffalo, a team that's four and two and right in the if the season had ended right this minute is a wild card team to give up a player of that magnitude. Uh, of that importance, you know, and what he can be when properly motivated and healthy is just shocking. It is, but it's not really that shocking considering the fact that his behavior kind of fell out of favor with Sean McDermott <laughs> at several points. And McDermott has shown that he's not afraid to let big names go like he was with Sammy Watkins and he was with Ronald Darby. And now he's with Marcel Darius and the Bills weathered the storm of those first moves. And McDermott, I believe, is confident in his personnel and his guys to pick up the slack. Well, he was like that in Carolina as well. And, you know, he was pretty much of the give me, you know, my kind of player. I don't care if they're a big name or not. I don't care if you're Josh Norman. I'm going to win either way with or without you. So he's putting his, uh, you know, he's putting his name out on the line here and we'll see how that turns out for Buffalo but just for the talent level you know it's well you know like you said the headache that comes along with it we don't know if that's really worth it for Buffalo and we'll probably hear a lot more that was happening behind the scenes in the coming days absolutely and the Jaguars have uh, shoved their chips even further to the middle of the table, saying we are going to continue to win the old school way with excellent defense and a grounded pound offense. And uh, give credit to Grandpa Tom Coughlin, who is making that old school style work again in Jacksonville. And uh, back to this Chargers-Patriots game. Uh, we were talking during the Patriots' dismantling of the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. And don't let the garbage time stats fool you, folks. The Patriots absolutely annihilated the Atlanta Falcons uh, last week on both sides of the ball. Their defense figured to turn a corner or two last Sunday, especially given the impressive performance of Johnson Batamosi uh, coming in at corner. Uh, he might uh, create a permanent starting spot opposite Malcolm Butler, with that performance, uh, because I think Batamosi played better last week than Stefan Gilmore has played all season. Uh, but 
I was saying that the Chargers game would be more telling as to how the Patriots defense has progressed because if you look at this Chargers offense, they have they're loaded at receiver. They're, as a matter of fact, they're so loaded they could afford to trade Dontrell Inman to the Bears earlier this week. And they got a young tight end come um, up and coming in Hunter Henry, who I think they could use over the middle to expose the absence of Dante Hightower. And uh, obviously what they're doing on defense, they're, um, they have an amazing pass defense, amazing young secondary led by Casey Hayward. And obviously the Bosa and Ingram coming off the edges against a Patriots offensive line that's been struggling to a certain degree, giving up 18 sacks so far is going to be very hard. So my question is, do you think the Chargers pose more of a challenge to the Patriots on both sides of the ball than the Falcons did? I definitely agree. I mean, this is this is a very difficult matchup for New England. Those edge rushers, their left their left tackle Nate Solder has been inconsistent all season. Marcus Cannon's been dealing with ankle injuries, which has taken away some of his strength and effectiveness on the right side as well. So you've seen that pocket collapsing from the edges in New England more than you usually do. Um, you brought up Casey Hay with Trevor Williams. I mean just shut down cornerbacks there. The Chargers may have a problem with the running backs coming out of the backfield and the tight end, Rob Gronkowski. But as you indicated, the Patriots are going to have that same problem. As Hunter Henry's been their number two option so far for most of the season. And New England has struggled against tight ends so far this season. So it'll be very interesting to see how how the Chargers do as a as a tough matchup for the Patriots here. Absolutely. And another wrinkle in this matchup, I when I look at the Chargers, is their head coach Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn is a Rex Ryan disciple. He coached under Rex Ryan for several years in New York and in Buffalo, uh, with the Jets, that is. Uh, and all those Rex Ryan teams uh, were known to give the Patriots fits a lot of the time uh, back in the day. And Anthony Lynn, uh, given all that he learned from Rex Ryan and playing the Patriots, I think that gives him somewhat of a heads up going into his first game as a head coach against the Patriots. Don't you? Oh, definitely. It does playing him twice a year for the last five or six years. And, and don't forget the defensive coordinator for the chargers as well as Gus Bradley, who had all those impressive seasons with the Seattle defense. And certainly the, the meshing of those two styles has been very interesting with the chargers in the last three or four games, where you're starting to see that defense that was a little off kilter in the first game or two of the season is, is really turning it around now playing with a lot of confidence, a lot of aggressiveness and, you know, just shutting teams down, making big plays. And, and that's an impressive defense to see. And, and, you know, Bill Belichick brought that up multiple times during this week in his press conferences saying, don't sleep on this defense because we consider it one of the top defenses in the league. And, and we're certainly taking them serious this week. As they absolutely should. And uh, looking at the X's and O's here, what matchup do you think will decide this game and why? Well, you know, it's going to be interesting, but I think the Chargers, if they're going to get to Tom Brady, they're going to have to get pressure up the middle. And, you know, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, they're great around the edges, but just like Dan Marino, just like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady has that pocket awareness and that ability to step up like those two quarterbacks did as well. And that negates so much of that outside pressure. Um, and so the teams that can't collapse that pocket, that can't force them to stand his ground or step back, 
Um, that's where, you know, if they can't get that pressure, you're not going to stop Tom Brady. So that's where San Diego is going to have to manufacture a pass rush, be it by disguising blitzes, by winning one-on-one battles in the trenches. But getting that pocket collapsed around Brady is the key for the Chargers. It most certainly is. And who do you have winning this game? I still have the Patriots pulling it out. Um, you know, the Chargers are basically playing 16 road games this year, so you can't give them too much of a home field advantage for the Patriots, but I've got them 27 to 20. I think it's going to be a very close game, and it's going to be high scoring. I have the Patriots 33 to 30. And uh, moving on to the afternoon games, which have two intriguing matchups, starting in the Pacific Northwest as Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans traveled to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. And that intriguing matchup had uh, the proverbial monkey wrench thrown into it today with the controversial comments of Bob McNair, as reported by ESPN Seth Wickersham, that were taken from the meeting between owners and players regarding anthem protests and McNair's comments about uh, in the NFL, the inmates shouldn't be running the asylum. Uh, and a lot of players were very offended by those quotes. And I, I, I'm not talking about from a racial point of view. It's uh, about the players being treated like commodities. And it just reinforced that perception of the players of how can we trust the owners when they look to us as expendable commodities. And do you think those comments that nearly forced the Texans to ditch practice today, will those comments be an unwelcome distraction or extra motivation for the Texans on Sunday? No, that's, I I don't see it as extra motivation. That is distracting. Uh, Just the fact DeAndre Hopkins, a Pro Bowl wide receiver, did leave and was the one player who did not stay for practice. Um, You know, that's that's a locker room that's already divided you've already got offensive tackle Dwayne Brown who is upset with McNair to begin with with all the contract controversy and holdout so far this season that's just pushing it to another another level and for any head coach that's a difficult situation it'll be really interesting to see if Billy O'Brien can get that squad pulled together and get them all back on the the same page because this is going to be a tough matchup facing the Seattle Seahawks. It most certainly is, and it is easily Deshaun Watson's most difficult test in his young, so far very promising young career. And how can Deshaun Watson pass that biggest test against this Legion of Boob in Seattle with all that crowd noise? Well, it's not going to be easy, but you know, you, you do it like every other team that's had any kind of success against Seattle is you work the running backs and the tight ends. Those are the matchups that you have the best chance to get. Um, You know, the Cam Chancellor might be, you know, the big hitter there, but when you match him up in single coverage with a tight end, you're going to be able to make some plays. So that's going to be very tough for Texas to be able to do that. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is that big receiver. You know, they've got some speed threats on the other side as well outside, but They may have to be adapting that game plan, and Bill O'Brien may have to pull out some of those old Patriots game plans from when he was offensive coordinator to get them dinking and dunking against the Seahawks. Absolutely, and you also need to work the run game a lot and uh, get a lot of misdirection, jet sweeps going on to to fool that Seahawks defense. And uh, who do you have winning this game? Uh, I'm going to pick the Texans. I still have faith that, you know, 
even with all this distraction, they should be able to pull it out. I'm not betting against Deshaun Watson at any time this time, even though you're looking at two teams that, you know, in the mirror, geez, two strong defenses, dynamic mobile quarterbacks. I'll give the edge to the Texans this week, 24 to 21. I am going with the Texans too. This is my upset special of the week. I just think Deshaun Watson, as I've said many times on the show, he has that it factor that made his former college coach Dabo Swinney compare him to Michael Jordan. And I think he showcases that it factor to its highest degree against that Seahawks defense and that loud crowd in Seattle. The Texans eking out an upset win in Seattle. And a very important game in the NFC East as the Cowboys at 3-3 travel to Washington, D.C. to take on the Redskins at 3-3. And given the fact that the Eagles are 6-1 and and are very likely to be 8-1 before they're by, given the fact that they have two games, both at home, coming up against the 49ers this week and the Broncos, who are obviously struggling on offense the week after, and Carson Wentz playing uh, like an MVP so far this year. Uh, this game is very important for wildcard race purposes. And who do you think this game is more important for, the Cowboys or the Redskins? You know, it's equally important for both right now. You know, the Redskins just got smacked around by the Eagles last week. The Cowboys, you know, seem to have, you know, fixed their offensive problems. But then you say, well, it was against San Francisco, too. So <laughs> let's not build too much into that. So, I mean, this game could be who's going to be that wild card, who's going to get the leg up and the head-to-head and the divisional record here, because these two teams are probably going to be fighting nail and tooth all the way out through the rest of the season for that wild card spot. Most definitely. And when you look at this game, though, the Redskins are depleted on the offensive line. And the offensive line is arguably their biggest strength on the team. Uh, they are like what the the arguably the second best offensive line of the NFL behind the Cowboys and Brandon Scherf dealing with an MCL sprain. Trent Williams hasn't been himself this year, playing through pain. And right tackle Morgan Moses all listed as questionable to play. With backup swing tackle Ty Insecki and center Spencer Long are both out for this game. How can the Redskins overcome their depleted offensive line going against a pass rush that isn't really that fearsome in the Cowboys? Yeah, I think Washington, you know, stretch out that defense, spread out the Cowboys on defense. That's how teams have success against Dallas. Pick those individual matchups against the cornerbacks, get them in a one-on-one situation, and three-step drop, quick pass, and yards after catch, and let those young receivers pick up some big yards that way. That's how they're going to have to attack the Cowboys with an offensive line that you know, is held together by bailing wire and tape right now. I completely agree. And who do you have winning here? You know, I, I'm going to pick the Redskins as good as the Cowboys looked last week. You know, it's a whole new matchup this week. They're not playing the 49ers this week. I've got the Redskins in a high scoring affair because I wasn't really impressed with their defense last week and Washington 37 Cowboys 33. I have the Cowboys winning. I think the Redskins, uh, with those injuries on defense and with uh, Josh Norman uh, looking iffy for this game, uh, I think uh, Dak Prescott is going to let it rip. And unless the Redskins' pass rush can get to Dak Prescott, I see the Cowboys zeking out in a close, high-scoring affair, 34-33. 
to 28. But uh, on a side note for a caveat, I won't be shocked out of my shoes if the Redskins do win. And going to the Sunday night football game in the Motor City, where the Pittsburgh Steelers, who bring in a 5-2 record, take on the Detroit Lions at 3-3. Three and three. And when you look at the Steelers right now, they're playing Super Bowl caliber football and surprisingly, it's not because of their offense. It's because of their defense. Their defense just continues to impress. Andy Dalton had no chance to throw the ball in the second half against that fearsome pass rush. That They were like sacking him every other play in the fourth quarter. It was just an amazing pass rushing clinic to watch uh, last Sunday in Pittsburgh. And when you look at the Steelers' defense, they're one of the most surprising units in the NFL. Like, What makes them so great right now, Hal? You know, it's it's just that team speed of the linebackers and that pass rush that's just relentless. They can just roll out so many different players at that position. They've got T.J. Watt, who's brought in a lot of energy, enthusiasm, speed. You put him on the outside with Bud Dupree. You've still got James Harrison. They've been keeping in reserve most of the season, the ageless wonder who's barely been on the field. And he could come out at any time and give a boost to that pass rush. They've just turned that team around um, so much speed on that on that team. And, and just like those old uh, Steelers teams of the past, just fantastic linebacker play. And that's always been the mantra of the Steelers. And they, they're back to the basics again on defense. And, and that's why there's so much improvement. Yes. And just, and just come to think of it, if the offense finds it, finds like 80% of its stride that it's had in years past, this team could be the best team in the AFC, and I'm not kidding. Oh, exactly. You know, all the Steelers are looking for is just one more player to step up. You know, Martavis Bryant has decided he's not going to be that guy. Hopefully it's going to be Juju Smith-Schuster. He's shown flashes for them. I looked it up today. Out of Ben Roethlisberger's 244 pass attempts, 116, or almost 48% of those, are going to Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell. If they can find that third option in that offense, that's when they're going to be dangerous. Yes, and it definitely doesn't look Martavis Bryant will be that guy anytime soon. And looking at the Lions, uh, what do you think is the biggest thing the Lions have to do in order to pull off the upset, which I think is doable? Yeah, they're going to be trying to corral levy on bell they've been excellent on defense they're seventh against the rush they only give up 3.7 yards per attempt but they have no haladi no nada there uh at nose tackle which is going to be a big loss for them so they're going to lean on alabama crimson tide 2016 second round pick a sean robinson to step in and if they can slow down levy on bell you can slow down that steelers offense right now yeah, the the centerpiece of that Steelers offense right now is clearly Le'Veon Bell and the run game. And who do you have winning? Well, I have the Lions. They should be 5-1 and one going into this game. They should have beat Carolina. They were half an inch away from beating the Falcons. I've got the Lions 27-24, a big win in primetime for them. I see a close game too, but 
I think the Lions come up short just again and lose to the Steelers 24-20. But as another caveat, wouldn't shock me if the Lions pulled off the upset given the Steelers' inconsistencies on offense this year. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And check out his work at Cover32.com, MusketFire.com, and Scout Media. Hal, we thank you so much for joining us yet again to preview yet another week in the National Football League. But you know the tradition here. Before we go, we have our rapid-fire segment in which we preview the rest of these Week 8 games, starting with 8.30 a.m. Central Time Sunday morning from London as the Vikings take on the Browns. I think this is an easy pick. Oh, yes. This is, if not the biggest upset, uh, the biggest upset special, the the second biggest by sure. I don't give the Browns a chance with their rotating quarterbacks. It's the Vikings in an easy win, 28 to 19. Plus with no Joe Thomas and Miles Garrett, the Vikings I think should win handily 30 to six. Good call. The Bears last week, they upset the Panthers at home 17 to three, but they're trailing the Superdome to take on the Saints and their red hot young defense. Who do you have there? I think it's going to be a close game. The loss of Jarrell Freeman for the Bears, their their fantastic linebacker, is going to hurt them against that multifaceted Saints offense. I'll take the Saints in a close one, 27-24. I believe in that young defense, and the Bears' uh, Mitchell Trubisky is going to have his struggles in the Superdome on Sunday. The Saints 27-13 I have. Uh a very important NFC South matchup, the Panthers and Buccaneers from the Sombrero in Tampa. Who do you have? It seems like there's no D in Buccaneers this year, but uh, Cam Newton, one touchdown, five interceptions since playing the poorest New England defense, 51 quarterback rating. It's going to be high scoring. I'm going to take the Buccaneers 28 to 27. I think the return of Luke Keekley makes just enough difference for the Panthers to eke out a victory. The Indianapolis Colts and the Cincinnati Bengals from Cincinnati. What do you got there? Oh, I'm taking the Bengals. This might be an easy one, 23-9. Definitely should be easy without Andrew Luck and Malik Cooker. I think the Colts are probably going to tank the rest of the season. That's a dirty word, but try to lose as many of their remaining games as possible to ensure they get a top three draft pick this spring. Uh, the intriguing matchup awaits in Western New York as the Bills host the rejuvenated Raiders. Who do you have there? Well, the Raiders were just so impressive last week against Kansas City. I've got to keep riding that train for them. If they can keep Cook and Amari Cooper in that offense and, and you know, getting them the ball, they should keep winning. 24-18 to 18 Raiders over the Bills. I, I like the Raiders, too. Plus, the Bills are hurting in the secondary with E.J. Gaines and Jordan Poyer, iffy for this game. I think the Raiders uh, find some mismatches, and those will prove to be the difference there. The struggling Falcons travel to the Meadowlands to take on the surprisingly good New York Jets. What do you got there? Boy, can the Falcons do the uh, um, impossible and lose to everybody in the AFC East this year? I don't <laughs> think so. Matt Ryan is a good quarterback. He's going to bounce back. 27-21 Falcons over the Jets. I am a believer in what Todd Bowles is doing. He's just coaching his butt off this year. And the the Falcons just... It, it, it's it goes beyond Matt Ryan. It's I believe it's the play calling of Steve Sarkeesian and their defense's inability to get off the field on third down. Josh McCown, I think, makes him pay, uh, and the Jets pull off a close one at the Meadowlands. Uh, the 49ers and Eagles, I think we got an easy pick here. 
the only hard part is how many points are the Eagles going to score? How few are they going to hold the 49ers to? <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's going to rain there on Sunday, so weather can play a factor in the score. That is true as well. I'm still picking the Eagles uh, short of a biblical hurry, uh, flood or something there. Eagles 31-17 to over the 49ers. I still like the Eagles, too, and by a score of 31 to 17, would not surprise me at all. And the Monday night matchup at Arrowhead, the Chiefs hosting the struggling Broncos offense. Both teams actually in need of a win. Um, uh, who do you got here? Until the Broncos can find that third option in the passing game, speaking of the same situation the Steelers are in, but exacerbated by not having Ben Roethlisberger back there. Um, I'm going to take the Chiefs here. Too much offense. Even that poor defense doesn't mean you're giving up more than two touchdowns. 19 to 14 Chiefs over the Broncos. Oh, that is so generous, Sal. I think it's going to be an <laughs> ugly bloodbath for my Broncos Monday night as the Chiefs win 35 to 10. And that's all for today here on Sports Crush with D. Crom. But we'll be back next week with a look at week nine and our midseason award. So stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up to date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. For Hale Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cremel saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.